This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates. We're back with a guest who is not in his 20s. I don't think. I met Zach Malm at the Amazing Portland meetup back in June, and we got to talk a bit. I knew about Zach's podcast uh, he does with his friend David Lester. It's called The Veterans of Culture Wars. But what I didn't know yet was that Zach was there at the beginning of Mars Hill Church. He was part of its rise. More importantly, Zach was the catalyst that brought Mars Hill down, like destroyed it. So yes, he went to Seattle Pacific University, which is a kind of weird stepsister of APU. But other than both having the word Pacific in the name, I don't really know of any actual connection between the two schools. So yeah, a- SPU, I almost said APU, SPU was another silly ruse of an academic institution with racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQIA hatred, you know, the usual. It- it's better now. The, there's, a, there's a pretty amazing movement happening there for the LGBTQIA students and faculty. And Zach does get into some of that. But what strikes me is it's telling that SPU was too watered down a Christian experience and too poor an intellectual academic experience for Zach that he ended up finding all that at Mars Hill Church. Mars Hill. And at first, he found both uh, the academic intellectual part and the artistic part. But mostly he just found his love for music and art keeping him in a pretty damn problematic space for a while until he just couldn't take it anymore. And he brought it and Mark Driscoll down. Now that is some deconstruction cred. I'm, I'm Zach Malm, uh, not confident I'm pronouncing my last name correctly, but uh, that's what my parents said, so that's what I'm going with. All right. Uh, my my mom, her, her joke with people would be like, like, palm tree, um, which I thought was stupid. <laughs> and now as really a dad, I, I like that because nothing rhymes with Malm. Um, but yeah, I... I uh, I w- went to Seattle Pacific University in Seattle, Washington, God's United States of America from 2004, uh, 2000 to 2004 and have uh, a, an art degree, studio arts. Uh, oh, hey. And it took a little while to end up on that. My uncle was a professor of arts there, um, ceramics oh. and art history. My parents met there. My 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 mom was uh, they were they were both music majors. My my mom was uh, uh, on like a scholarship, like like half of her tuition was paid for by her being in the the elite choir that got to put out records and stuff. And uh, oh, wow, both of them got 
like music teaching jobs in, in public schools after that. And then started a, uh, like worship supply business in, in the late seventies. It was around for like 30 years or so. Um, and, and I was, uh, born, born and raised in the Seattle area though, you know, the suburbs, um, you know, because we were nice white Christian folk. So, uh, we didn't live in an urban area. Uh, and yeah, you know, Christian school. I, sorry. I don't, I don't know I, I, how much of this intro is. Yeah. Anything just, you want to share <laughs> about your but, background? Like, so where, where, so you grew up in a very Christian family and you're like a, is that a is, did I hear that right? You're like a third generation SPU. A uh, second, second, second okay. generation. My, my dad's dad was a professor at various Christian colleges. Okay. Um, uh, I think his focus was like Middle East, uh, politics and history. Wow. Um, useful. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... They were like assemblies of God and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of his interest in that was relating to, uh, eschatology, you know, ah, so like okay. how is, how is the Middle East going to bring about the end of the world? Oh, okay. So you know, it's not like the Pentagon's calling him for, uh, <laughs> nah, insights. Uh, no, but, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I went to a Christian school r- run by a Baptist, uh, a Baptist church, like 10 minutes away from my house and growing up was in, um, vineyard, uh, a vineyard church, uh, vineyard. Yeah, yeah, and then then w- moved over to Foursquare before moving out to go to college and finding Mars Hill and getting all deep into that shit. But oh hell uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, vineyard, yeah, vineyard all the way. Growing up, like my like we were like babysat by by vineyard songwriters that wrote like big popular '90s yeah. worship hits. Like uh, yeah, um, I don't know that. Draw me close to you. Never yeah. let me go. Do you remember that one? You, you're I all I want. Yeah. Yeah. I stayed I, at uh, Kelly Carpenter. Uh, Wasn't As the Deer from Vineyard? As Tom? the Deer was one of my, the, the guy, uh, uh, Marty Nystrom was one of my parents, like best friends. See, I I used to lead that song in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, that was that was bigger than draw me close. Little, uh, little one five six four. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vineyard, Vineyard's. Uh, you know, if if you could do DGC, you're you're good. Yeah, yeah, that one was tough for a lot of people because it had a B minor in it. Oh boy! So, um, you know, oh yeah, D, <laughs> D A B minor G. Um, wow! So that's some uh, Christian cred <laughs> of. of uh, yeah, I mean being, that's being that's a brief spaces. brief overview. Like I got a variety <laughs> of weird Christian. I mean, we all got weird Christian cred. Is it cred? <laughs> well, I, I yeah, Drama. it's cred. I, I air quotes <laughs> around cred. <laughs> yeah, because even as we deconstruct, it is kind of fun to hear about people's you know cred that they had. Um, there's, Actually, there's I, still a little bit of flex in when we. <laughs> <laughs> It's all we got left from it, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, and and you know, it's as podcasters, 
this cred is just people we could reach out as to as for uh, potential guests. And I will say that one of those people that I just mentioned that was a big worship uh, songwriter hitmaker uh, uh, is deconstructing. Um, Ooh. I have I have talked with them. <laughs> So future episode of nah, he, uh, he Veterans see, of yeah. I asked, I asked, but uh, oh, no. yeah, I know he he, he declined. Well, you can work on him. Plant the seeds. <laughs> There's always play hope. the long game. There's always yeah, you gotta play the long game here. Turn him against because each Lord. step of deconstruction will be one step further away from all of that, and one step closer to being comfortable with possibly spilling the tea. You know, yeah, telling telling the story. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I, yeah. All right, so, 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 eighteen-year-old Zach goes to Seattle Pacific, and listeners of this podcast know I'm from Azusa Pacific. Are they related? I never really figured it out. They both have Pacific. Uh, they, but other than that, <laughs> I mean, and there was, and some professors have taught at both places. Uh, oh, a couple of administrators I knew have been in both places, so there was some kind of tie. I just don't know exactly the what it is well spu is affiliated with the free methodist church and right, azusa pacific was not. was not right right what what were what were you guys i don't know wesleyan i i, that, I thought i remember being wesleyan but i wasn't sure if it was like yeah. specifically that or one of the groupings of they, they don't say wesleyan light but they would say from a wesleyan tradition so they didn't mm. have to just be exclusive to that okay so Wesleyan-ish kind of right. Thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, Calvinism was not uh, a no. thing I was familiar with, and it wasn't something that really came up at in school. And, um, but you know, drinking was a definite no-no. Okay. Um, I mean, so I I did not go to SPU because I wanted a Christian education. I. You know, I, I, my first 10 years, kindergarten through ninth grade, were Christian school, small school. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I am still friends with some of those folks. I, I just had a little get together a couple weeks ago with like my ninth grade graduation class. Wow. You know, it was like half of us, you know, uh, ha half being like 12. Um, okay. <laughs> From the graduating class? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, really we, small, yeah. Yeah, we got together, and um, it wasn't at the time. I didn't think of it as a, a terrible experience. I mean, looking back, yeah. I'm like, yeah, there was some messed up stuff, you know, showing showing a sure. thief in the night in class, you know, it, it, <laughs> giving us like a map of hell. Uh, a map. <laughs> yeah, my Bible teacher had like a a section. Here's the three different areas of hell. Like, like oh, three. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, um, you know, stuff, stuff like, you know, I got in trouble once and had to like write Bible verses instead of writing sentences. And <laughs> that just doesn't seem like the sort of thing to get you to like love scripture is <laughs> if you're no. punished oh, by having to write verses. Depending on the verse, I guess. Um, yeah. There's some fun ones like the donkey ball verse. or um, Oh, sure. The, they uh, didn't. I mean. Song of Solomon. They they probably my my <laughs> teacher probably thought it was funny. They probably picked something that was tangentially related to what I got in trouble oh, for. Which okay. what I got in trouble for was was like terrorizing somebody in a Clifford the Big Red Dog costume at a library event, uh, which I didn't know was one of my classmates because like her mom was the librarian. Uh, yeah, 
but you know, we're just messing around. Yeah. Um, but we had to write out Bible verses and I don't know, it's weird. But, um, but yeah, I went, I went to public high school after that. And you know, that was oh. weird because, um, in between those two things, I had cancer, um, oh. uh, the summer after, after ninth grade. So when I was 15, what kind of cancer did you have? I had an epithelioid sarcoma. Uh, so a single, uh, um, tumor that was that was in the like my the in the instep of my my foot the, in, the inside side of it and uh super uh super deadly and not very common and I, I i you don't really hear about them much it's not a very sexy cancer so <laughs> actually like like a, like two years ago i heard an ad on the radio about like sarcoma research and i started crying because i'd i never heard anybody talking about it as a thing we should try to get better at dealing with Whoa. but like when i was diagnosed with this which was a total like accident it was bizarre like i had like some ingrown toenails and went into the podiatrist to have them take care of it and like hey you also have this weird bump on your foot we should probably get rid of um it's probably Whoa. like some loose cartilage or something yeah and uh went back like two weeks later and they took it out and they're like not cartilage don't know what it is they had to send oh, it like to a lab in dc to figure out Whoa. what it was and and then they told my parents and this was 1997 we had the internet um but they said do not alta vista that do not lycos that do not <laughs> whatever the other pre-google uh, search oh, engines yeah. or <laughs> before we all agreed to refer to searching things online as Googling. Yahoo? They, they, they just said, do not look into this. And I, I actually didn't really look at the details until five because years it would ago be so or so. Terrifying. I mean, I, I didn't look up anything at the time. Yeah. Um, but they, they just didn't want us to lose all hope essentially. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> it, it was a pretty bad diagnosis. Then. Yeah. It's like 50% die. Oh, and um, if and it's most commonly on hands, and you just immediately they're gonna chop your hand off if it if it shows up there. Whoa. So I lucked out. Like they they removed like a third of my foot, replaced it what? with flesh from my back, uh, and I can wear normal shoes and walk around just fine. Running's not awesome if I try to like work out by running every day, but yeah. um, they they said you know if. Uh, if a single cell shows up again, we'll chop your leg off at the knee. And wow. uh, like, it's super serious, legit stuff. And um, so that surgery was my second day of high school at a public, my second day of public school. <laughs> and wow. uh, then, you know, I missed like a month and came back and had to like make friends. And uh <laughs> It was, it was weird, but you know, I guess I, so I, I kind of learned a couple different things and then I, I got better at, at being more outgoing and, and, and leaning into humor and things like that. Um, but then I also got more serious in my outlook on life and long-term right. thinking and stuff like that. And, and that sort of side of things kind of set me up for the Mars Hill stuff. But, but how did your family as like a Christian family reacts to this news. Um, um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting because gr- growing up, like anytime I was sick, um, we they'd be praying in tongues, which I never right. personally did, but um, they'd come in, you know, if, if I ever had a nightmare and uh, <laughs> and would yell out to to the demons to go away in the name of Jesus and it didn't work uh, and had to ask my parents to come in uh, for backup, then they would uh, pray in tongues over me. And I don't really remember that being the case with this. Okay. Um, but it happened so fast and like, like once they knew it was cancer, it was like, okay, we're, we gotta get this surgery done like immediately. Um, then they didn't I, like want to just pray it away then they were, they were good with the, the medical. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. My, yeah. my mom's mom had, had died of cancer when I was eight. Um, oh. you know, they, and I mean, she, she had ovarian cancer and, and my mom responded to that by, by getting a complete hysterectomy, Whoa. um, which okay. is not really a thing people do so much anymore, but yeah. uh, I, I firmly remember her like curling up in a chair with her Bible for months and months and months crying and, um, you know, going through real grief and all that, um, mm-hmm. but having a kind of obsessive religious way of, of dealing with right. it. Um, yeah, I was asking because, you know, people respond to things like a really scary cancer in one of two ways, usually. It's either you go harder into your faith or it sort of becomes part of your deconstruction. And so it sounds like it was more just you guys just circled the wagons and prayed and, and did the, the surgeries and it didn't necessarily hurt your faith no no and i mean the i mentioned that my uncle was a professor at spu um like the day of my surgery i guess the day after maybe whenever i was like awake enough to have visitors my uncle came and visited with his wife um they had just had a baby their first like four months before that and they were like in their mid 40s so like um, i had like thought we weren't going to have cousins ever but but they had this baby <laughs> and he had a massive stroke that night after having visited what? me in the hospital um and to this day like his left side is paralyzed Whoa. and he was a potter you know he taught ceramics yeah uh, oh, man and it also affected his his brain in in ways where like he couldn't even teach art history really anymore um so he had, a to, he had to retire the mom family. Yeah. So, you know, my dad was dealing with his brother having this massive stroke at the same time that I was in the hospital recovering from cancer surgery. So they kind of oh. split it up. We're like, I remember really my mom being there with me yeah. because my dad yeah. was dealing with his brother. Right. Um, so oh. I'd, I'd, you know, if my dad were still around, I'd be interested to talk to him about that now, about how maybe that affected his faith. Right. Um, he didn't deconstruct, but it was an incredibly right. challenging time. Sure. Well, okay. So when you get to SPU, is all of this sort of just adding up to in, sort of just be part of how you see faith, your, your relationship with God? He brought you through this, obviously. You, 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 you were healed, quote unquote. Um, so did it make it stronger, your faith? Um, I, I don't know. Like, 
when so so when I was 15 and going through this like my experience of church all growing up was this you know super emotional experiential church that I just never really connected with I didn't want to speak oh, in tongues I didn't want right. to sing the the really romantic songs that they had there I didn't want to raise my hands like uh-huh. I like I, re- I remember like feeling like I was sinning via like apathy. Like I remember like, right. Like a youth group retreat, like asking for prayer for that because like everybody else around me was like crying and having a moment, you know, the yeah. mountaintop experience. And I was just yeah. like, not, um, but, um, yeah, go, go, go to SPU. I kind of hoped it like, wouldn't be a religious school all that much. Like I literally mm. asked because I was going to go to the university of Washington. That, that was the plan. Um, then I, my sister was going to New York University to do musical theater stuff, and oh, I yeah. visited her and another friend who was at Sarah Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, and the contrast between the two schools couldn't have been starker. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, we're staying in the dorms where my sister was, you know, these just skyscrapers in, in Manhattan, yeah. just full of people, whereas Sarah Lawrence, just nice grassy. Yeah campus where we'd walk around with my friend and like literally every person she passed was like hey how's it going yeah <laughs> like and i was like i kind of like this like like having friends and knowing people and small school thing so i like it was like sp- spring of my senior year that i came back from that trip and was like i'm not going there and i better figure out where i'm going and i i cared about my hometown and and my roots there and i was pretty plugged in with the local music scene and stuff and Mm. wanted to stick around to see where that was going and i remember like asking my parents like is spu like weird christian (laughs) 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 and they're like nah no it's fine um so i and coming from the vineyard it it really wasn't it was pretty mainstream right yeah um, yeah but you know, I still didn't really want to play along. I never went to chapel. Oh, I, it's not required there, right? It was required. Oh, <laughs> I think so you just didn't go. I just didn't go. Um, do they fine you like at APU or other schools, or do they do they get you on probation? Well, you're supposed to like submit reports like each each quarter or whatever about the chapels that you went to. But this was 2000, and so streaming had started to be a thing, or at least MP3s and such. And so they were putting archives of of the chapel stuff up there. So I just, at the end of the quarter, when I was supposed to write something up, I'd I'd, uh, find one of them that seemed kind of interesting and skim around (laughs) until I found some quotes I could throw in and... Was this on like Napster or something? Or, um, I, we used a lot of Napster that year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Audio Galaxy was better, but. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and Soulseek. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was a big year for Napster. Yeah. Uh, I remember. S- schools didn't yet know how to block anything. Right. Right. So, big year for Napster and big year for other things that schools would like to block. Yeah. Um, particularly Christian schools. Yep. Um, yeah. So you you didn't come to SPU like all fired up like a lot of the people on the show like you know just super excited to 
grow your faith and go to chapel and do all the things and no nah, like i still kind of thought that it would be a crazy college experience oh um, was that disappointing <laughs> yeah like i re i remember like kind of in that like toxic masculinity sort of way being like really like bummed by the end of my freshman year that i like, hadn't seen any boobs you know <laughs> oh it's like isn't it supposed to be just like naked people running around constantly and wow, no, thought, just a SBA lot of barely suppressed uh, yeah. homoeroticness. You know, like like <laughs> yeah. the guys dorms where there's just yeah people running down the hallway naked just all the time. Guys but, being guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't see boobs my freshman year of a very large public school. Uh, oh, well, I did see by accident once, once um, but it was not like a... It was not a romantic or sexual moment. Uh, all right. Okay. We. I need to explain. Uh, this was not some kind of Revenge of the Nerds or Animal House scenario. It was just a bunch of us sitting around in the lounge of my dorm freshman year, UC San Diego, Revelle College. And one of our friends, kind of a wild one, um, took, took off her sweatshirt, just pulled it over her head, and kind of brought most of her t-shirt with it exposing one breast and we all just sat there mouths agape not knowing what to say she just asked us what the fuck was wrong with all of us and yeah we just moved on let it go that's it yeah so yeah it, you're not alone you're not alone and and that's okay yeah. <laughs> like that, it's I, okay i wasn't there was that, time for but, that but like there were things about it that 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 are part of the evangelical uh, college thing that I did like in going there. I liked that it was a dry campus. Oh. I I've I've never really been a drinker. Uh, I never went through that phase. I I only you know in the last few years I've like forced myself to learn to like cider. Um, but I still like never like hard cider. Yeah, but like oh, okay. I've never acquired a taste for beer or wine. Oh. Um, I've never actually been drunk. I've been stoned, but I've never been drunk. Um, Stone's better, I think. That's my opinion. But. I mean, I'm 40 now, so I think I've already missed the window where where drunk can be fun, right? Like, no, no, no. Uh, your, your 40s, your 40s could potentially be your best decade ever, uh, as far as far as living large. So I say that from experience. <laughs> I I almost made it the theme of my fortieth birthday party. It was almost to like invite my friends over, like a get Zach drunk party. Uh, oh yeah, but uh, you know, I just ended up taking an edible. Yeah, that's that's fun too. But yeah, no. Uh, as uh, you you have kids, so as your kids get older, um, and more independent. You, you get a little more space, a little more time and space to do your own things. So yeah, they're they're only now old enough where we've started letting them both stay home alone for a bit while we go out and do something. Oh yeah, there you go. And, it's begun already. Yeah, and I mean they're like eleven and thirteen, which is a little bit old for some folks to start doing that. But we were yeah. fairly convinced they'd kill each other. Yeah. Um, well, you know your kids. <laughs> But but you're a musician, so you know you. There's plenty of music out there to hear and play and do. Oh sure. So, so yeah, that's the message for today's. Forties are awesome. Okay. 40s well, I'm great. I hope so. I'm, <laughs> yeah. 
It was hard. All the things you didn't get to do at, at SPU, you can do in your 40s, and it's more fun because you know more. You have more life experience to draw from, and so, yeah. I, it, so. SPU was good for a few things, and, and you know, just like how I'm, I'm drawn to the, the smaller communities in general, like I found my way into the arts program, which the art building was kind of separate from the rest of the campus hmm. and so once i was fully ensconced in that and like living off campus and stuff then then i just got to be you know good good friends with the other art students but didn't really engage much with the rest of the campus like i'm i'm still friends with one of my professors from then who who retired like a year ago hmm. um i don't know it's it was, it was. So it was a good experience overall. Yes. Yes. And no, I mean, I'm, I was ready to go on to something else. Uh, pretty year, like, like halfway through the year, I was like, I am not coming back. I started looking into other colleges. <laughs> through your freshman year? Halfway through your freshman yeah. year? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Actually, I took, I took a quarter off and went to community college just so I would continue to be earning credits while deciding mm. whether to come back or not. Um, what made you come back? What made you decide? Um, I'm not really sure why I chose <laughs> to come back so much as couldn't find another thing that was more interesting. Like, like I remember talking about going to Chicago, trying to apply to DePaul University. I was really into this musician, Jim O'Rourke. And, and, you know, Chicago was a big deal musically in the, in the early 2000s with the, the Thrill Jockey label. You got... You know, bands like Tortoise, you know, the, the, the whole post-rock movement uh, was so much of that was happening in Chicago. And I was and I knew that Jim O'Rourke had attended DePaul. And I was like, ah, well, if he went there, then that's got to be a great place. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I think ultimately it's like I'm just uh, I'm bad with change and I'm more comfortable with, <laughs> with my hometown. And I just sure. couldn't do it. So I was like, okay, how hard is it going to be? I'll just, I'll just stick it out. But I remember like I met with like one, an English professor and told him like, yeah, I just don't know if it's the right place for me. And he's like, well, you know, maybe you should go there. <laughs> like, yeah. like, thanks for telling me that. But yeah, yeah. no, I, I stood out. Like I remember freshman year, there was, there was a, um, an open mic, a coffee house thing. And, and over the summer, before my cancer diagnosis, uh, sorry, no, that that was uh, several years before. So no, mm -hmm. uh, after after senior year, a friend of mine from high school and I, uh, we sculpted with paper mache and chicken wire and stuff like a three and a half foot tall penis that that we painted stars and stripes. Um, so the shaft was, was, uh, uh, red and white stripes and yeah. the head was blue with stars on it. And we felt it was a very important statement Patriotic penis. that yeah. we were making that the star spangled phallus, we called it. And, <laughs> and I remember, um, you know, when you're young, you just like, you want to do like big expressive things. And, and I'm like, I care about art and I'm creative. And, and even if I don't fully understand what I'm doing, you know, I, I still want to do something. So yeah. I remember like, I was not actually like familiar with Bruce Springsteen at all. 
So I was like, I need something that I could work in the Star Spangled Phallus for this open mic night. And so I, I like reworked the lyrics to Born in the USA, have ne having never really heard it. So I fell into the trap that like everybody who doesn't listen to it thinks that it's yeah, jingoistic. It's a patriotic and, you know, song. But... I remember like trying to come up with a parody of it. And I'm like reading, I'm like, oh, huh, this actually like, oh, yeah. kind of seems... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like interesting uh as it is but uh but i have my idea so i'm sticking with it and and i had a friend like stand next to me with he had the the the, the sculpture the in a uh in a duffel bag that he unzipped like halfway <laughs> through the song and pulled it out and uh there were many many shocked faces and you know i did other open mic stuff where i'd you know drop the f-bomb and stuff like that and i was told afterwards that like there were teachers looking for me trying to because <laughs> because these this is open mics in a christian setting yeah wow look at you pushing pushing I, things i was i i like wrote a protest song against having to do the uh what they called the christian faith exploration requirements <laughs> having to go to chapel <laughs> and stuff <laughs> all right so the the seeds of discontent were we're starting to sprout in oh, young Zach. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a punk, but it's, <laughs> but I was pushing back against softer targets, I guess, than than what real punks would go after. You know, I don't know. A, a, a large phallus painted like the American flag is that's going pretty big. Yeah, yeah. I took it seriously. I mean, everybody in my dorm would like steal it from my dorm room and run around yeah. with it and take pictures. And I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, that is an art piece. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you making fun of this? Why are you, you were ahead of the Instagram age that, that would have been totally Instagrammable. We didn't have, we didn't have phones. So. Whatever happened to it? Is it, is it no longer? Is it, it, around? it, it, it got destroyed by humidity up in an attic over one summer. Oh, <sighs> I don't have any right. pictures of it because I was no. I was ashamed of it. Well, I, I couldn't tell. My parents never knew about it. Oh. It stayed at my friend's house where we made it during the summer, and then it went directly to my dorm room, and then from there it it went to to this house that I bought after my my sophomore year. That's a whole another thing. Um, okay, that was gonna be the picture for this episode, but now I know. I, I ha there's no record of it. Oh. I just, if I if I talk to tragic. people from my floor, from my freshman floor, they might have pictures of it, but I don't, because it's yeah, evidence. Cause, yeah, yeah, you didn't want to have any evidence. And yeah. as somebody raised, I you know, Tor Tori talked about this on your most recent episode. Like, you get really yeah. good at hiding stuff. Yeah, like you, like I was a, I became a secretive kid because everything was out of bounds. And uh, this was just part of that. Couldn't acknowledge sexuality in any way, you know? Yeah, Tor Tori went to college like minutes away from where I grew up. I okay, yeah, nearby. That. Yeah. Western College or Western University? Uh, yeah, no, she's, she's at Northwest. Northwest, yeah. yeah. Northwest. In, in Kirkland, Washington, which that's where I grew okay. up. Although, oh, hey. for anybody that's, that's local to Seattle, I, I, I have to say that I did not grow up technically in Kirkland. I mean, technically, yes, it was within Kirkland, but it was Juanita, which is middle-class Northern Kirkland. The rest oh. of Kirkland is very fancy pants. And oh, oh, okay. we, we were not. So it always, yeah. it's, it feels, it feels, uh, 
like I'm bragging to Sam from Kirkland. Um, oh, okay. Or or trying to say I'm somebody I'm not. Good, good clarification. Definitely yeah. not rich. Yeah. See, my wife grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is a okay. fairly wealthy enclave of in the Phoenix area, but she was not wealthy, so she always has to clarify the same way you are. Um, Scottsdale, more the college that. town. No, Tempe is the college town. Okay. Scottsdale's kind of like a big, wealthy suburb with golf courses and stuff. Now, a lot of people, uh, many of whom you've heard on this podcast, arrive at evangelical colleges and universities and are eventually, if not immediately, disappointed in the oversimplified and wide-ranging theology that tends to dominate the student life in its rules and regulations, you know, like no dancing, no drinking, no having fun. Um, and some others um, are disappointed in the poor academics. The, the, the intellectual vibe of the school is just not satisfying. And, and we're talking about the professors and the students. These are common experiences. And while some point to these weaknesses of the evangelical schools as markers in their deconstruction, Zach actually went after more theology and more intellectual and creative vibes. Unfortunately, he found those at Mars Hill Church. What is it you want me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? I hate you, naturally. And I hate black people. Things are going to get worse before they get better. What is presented to me as an American does not look like me. Because you're not allowed to be a black man in corporate America. You give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, uh, and then you ask me you know, whether I approve of violence, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now. And you know what? We need a space where we can debrief some of it and deconstruct. If you've been looking for a POC-centered podcast that engages with intersectionality, religion, critical race theory, and some hip-hop culture, then you need to check out Profane Faith. I'll be your host, Daniel Whitehodge, and we go in every other week. So check us out wherever you find your podcasts, or check us out at whitehodgepodcasts.com to see what other platforms we're on. Cool? Aight. Peace. So, okay, anyway... The, the trajectory that we're on, if the listeners haven't picked up on it, your, your, your deconstruction didn't come until later because you're famous for taking down Mars Hill and there's a whole story. And I've heard you told the, the story on your podcast and on a couple others. And um, can you draw a connection between this? Is, is there a trajectory from SPU to bringing you to Mars Hill and then... The deconstruction, or or is is there more of a through line there? Uh, there is, there is geographically. Uh, you know, Mar geographically. Mar Mar Mars Hill is just a few <laughs> minutes away from from uh, from SPU. You know, 
I wasn't going to keep going to the churches that I went to growing up. Like I, I, I did like the French exit on, on churches when I, when I left. So <laughs> I, I went to the same church until high school and then just one week just stopped going and started going to the four square church that my parents had already moved on to. And when I went to college, that was that. <laughs> I didn't didn't tell him I was leaving. It was just stop going to that church. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to keep driving back over over across the lake every week to go to that. And, you know, going to, going to SPU, everybody was, like, visiting churches each week in, in the first few months and trying stuff out. And there was this whole thing where uh, – Mars Hill had been running an all-ages music venue as sort of a service to the city of Seattle because there was a ridiculous uh, law in the books that made it very, very difficult to host all-ages shows. Um, very, very expensive. A, a huge amount of insurance, uh, a very large insurance policy was required. You had to have an off-duty police officer there. and oh. But then, like, if if your space was deemed problematic by cops, they had a really easy way to shut you down because they had no requirement of following through on an agreement to show up as, wow. as an off-duty service. So so they could say they'd show up, not do it, and then bust you for not having one. Um, really messy situation that just made it so that like the normal people that would start venues um, didn't want to... Right. Deal with press their luck and deal with all yeah. that. Yeah. So, so the, so across the lake on the east side where I was growing up, various things popped up that uh, took that place. But in the city of Seattle, there wasn't an all ages uh, concert venue and churches were exempt from this policy. And one of the three founding elders of Mars Hill, not Mark Driscoll, bought this old like 1920s single screen movie house. Uh, in the university district and they converted it into a, a concert venue and you know i was going to punk shows like several times a week there for like a year maybe not quite that often because there were other venues i'd go to on the east side but i was i was going there for about a year having no knowledge that a church was running it um because oh. it was not a ministry thing they weren't trying to convert anybody they were oh, trying yeah. to make inroads in the community right. really it was it was like yeah, you know, building a foundation of of support um, that would help them later on, because you know all of the like cool cachet that they got, you know, all the descriptors you'd hear about them. Oh, this like tattooed church with musicians and people smoking outside and all this. You know, it was yeah. because of the paradox that venue that they right and all the people that they brought in um, with that. So you know, basically when I within the first few weeks at SPU and somebody tells me, Hey, we're going to go to church at the paradox. Uh, also this drummer of this band you love roadside monument plays there. I was like, yes. Okay. Oh, didn't, hell yeah. didn't know there was a church there, but I'm yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and like, like I said, like Calvinism was not something I was familiar with. Um, and like, in-depth sermons wasn't something I was familiar with. Uh, there oh. was so much about it that was new to me. Like they did communion every week. And like growing up, we got like the prepackaged little, little uh, thimble of, of grape juice, grape and, juice. And, a, yep. and a cracker sort of thing. Like 
every few months, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they had the lights low and these like gothy candelabras and things. Yeah. And, um, probably some pretty good music too. And great music. Like the, yeah. the first time I'd ever liked music at church. Yeah. Um, it got to the point where like I was going twice on Sundays because they had multiple small locations for a while. When I started going, there was like 200 people. Um, but in the, in the first couple of years that I was there before they got a big building, they expanded to having multiple small locations and Mark would preach in the morning at one and I'd, I'd go see him preach. And then in the evening I'd go to the paradox to see the good band <laughs> and it was it was my community. It was making me more interested in the Bible and theology, but hmm. not in a really broy way. A lot of the, a lot of the guys they like just wanted to fight about scripture, and yeah, that was never my thing. Oh. Um, so it wasn't really like you know I didn't go to SPU because I was on fire for Jesus. I, I if anything I was like. I am comfortable with going to a Christian school because I've done it already. And it, yeah. I didn't yeah. feel like overwhelmingly repressed by that experience. So I guess I right. can handle it, but I didn't yeah. really know all the things that, that would be required of me, which I ended up you know, refusing to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but finding Mars Hill, that was the like, I'm moving beyond this being my parents' faith that's just yeah. by default passed on to me and like it's right becoming my own. And and it helped that it was a markedly different expression yeah. of it than what my parents had. This is kind of you coming into your own as yeah. your, your your own agency to choose the the kind of faith that you're having in the Absolutely. Um, and it, and it, it's a perfect marriage of music and faith too there because you're into music and that was a high priority in a church like that. They so, cared about it. It was an important yeah. part of the church. The yeah. the the four-word slogan of the church in the beginning years was meaning, beauty, truth, community. And wow. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> like depending on how you def define it, but yeah, that sounds awesome. Sure, these are these are subjective. <laughs> yeah, but what I was seeing there, at least on, on the beauty aspect, in that was like I agree with that. This this is beautiful to me, um, and you know, like I said, that that going through cancer like made me just thinking more long term and more serious and. Mark's appeal was a lot of that proto Jordan Peterson esque, like pull up your pants and prepare yeah. for your legacy, not your weekend. And, you know, talking about how, you know, our culture doesn't have a, a, an experience where men go from adolescence to adulthood. We don't, we don't have, you know, a vision quest that we go out on. And so we have this extended adolescence and, and here at Mars Hill, we're just going to accept that we have responsibilities and capabilities and we're going to, we're going to uh, grab those and do it. And we're going to be hard workers and we're going to support our families and we're going to take pride in that. And that all connected with me. And and not initially in a hyper misogynistic way, though I you know obviously can can see how that was baked in, and yeah. and eventually saw that as being part of it. But I think I was less aware of that because I just wasn't like 
as like attuned to the frequencies <laughs> of that <laughs> where yeah. i just thought that a lot of the expressions of 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 christianity that i had experienced growing up were just like bullshit surface stuff and that what mm -hmm. i was getting from there was the meat and the the real uncut stuff where yeah. you know instead of a 25 minute sermon of jesus loves you congratulations let's all speak in tongues um right. you know it was an hour long and he was talking about psychology and sociology and history and all this stuff that was just more intellectually engaging and i had a more intellectual experience of faith than i felt like anybody else had in my circles at the other churches i've gone to where like i was wow. seeing like kids in my youth group running around uh balking like a chicken yeah <laughs> you know and i visited a vineyard church once yeah it scared the shit out of me and uh um there's some messed kinda, up stuff there kind of made me giggle too sure not, not gonna lie you know and it's you know um, different ones are going to be different and it wasn't like yeah. that every week but like right they were they they embraced that stuff they thought that yeah. was you know a movement of of god when stuff like that would happen and yeah and i was just like super uncomfortable with that so much <laughs> of it was god told me this god told me that yeah i i in in junior high i remember we were going to be going on a retreat and and the the youth group leader told us hey god told me that there's a kid named alec and he's going to come to this this retreat and he's going to be saved and i don't know who he is but i need all of you to go and if any of you know an alec you need to invite this kid and like it's not a very common name right so yeah. nobody knew an alec and over the next month or so before the retreat nobody encountered one nobody found an alec and so he's like okay all right now i get it like god explained he's talking about a smart alec um <laughs> <laughs> which he's talking to 15 year olds 14 year olds yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. like this is the 90s <laughs> like this is the, really kevin smith generation <laughs> you know like like we're all smart alex what are you talking about it's just like right oh, okay like yeah let me just change the prophecy or whatever yeah um kind of move the goalposts mm -hmm, there, so. Mm -hmm. so like that mm. that just stuff i didn't relate to that it didn't, and it didn't fly with me so the mars hill stuff was just so different yeah so young and vibrant and creative and then right. Mark, what I primarily focused on was his preaching was more specific and in-depth and intellectual and challenging. And, you know, a lot of it, we, you know, like walk out of and be like, oh, man, I feel like I just got kicked in the stomach by that. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that great? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's, it took me a while. It took me a while to, to see what was going on that was so unhealthy and it's taken a while to like forgive myself for that oh, but yeah. but like he knew what he was doing i didn't know yeah. what he was doing but he knew what he was doing and he was looking to take advantage of vulnerable young men like yeah. me um eventual high income earners is who he was targeting uh, you know not high high tech high creative city um and you know i mentioned i bought a house after my sophomore year i 
did that because that was highly encouraged there. And this is before the 2008 crash. So like they were just oh, handing out yeah. mortgages to anybody right. with a pulse, right. you know? Um, and Mark actually like, I, I put up like an ad on the bulletin board uh, and he like walked past and he's like, ah, you got a, you got a wife magnet there. That's what that is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just, it, it made sense to me in the way that Jordan Peterson makes sense to young guys these days. Now, for the sake of time, we won't cover the whole story of Zach taking down Mars Hill here today. Um, he's told the story a number of times, and so, in a nutshell, he basically outed Mark Driscoll, who was posting some toxic masculine and misogynistic shit on the church website through an alt account and a fake uh, identity. You should definitely check out the whole story he tells on both his podcast, Veterans of Culture Wars, and on the Fu Full Mutuality podcast with our friends Nate and Gail. For today, we're focusing on the appeal of Mars Hill as a theological and intellectual wonderland compared to evangelical colleges and universities. Yeah, that's terrifying. Was going to SPU sort of like a gateway drug coming from your vineyard Foursquare? So you, it opens up this like intellectual approach to reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible. Sure. And going going to yeah, Hill. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And actually, Mark uh, host, hosted where he he um, he ran a Bible study on campus. It was in a a camp, uh, an SPU owned house that I, I attended that for a while before like the school kicked him off. <laughs> like you're not, oh. you're not allowed to do stuff on campus. Oh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, in intellectually, you know, going to SPU and having, having, uh, smart, intelligent people around there talking about their faith, um, was helpful. And, and I think I found more of them in the art department. And, you know, my favorite um, professor from there is actually Catholic, not, not Protestant. Mm. Um, that was, that was really uh, compelling seeing that there was this, this expression of, of faith there that, that I could connect with more, but I also saw the opposite. You know, I think you asked me about why I wanted to, to, to leave and and I, I forgot, but this, this is this is a good story that um, I so when I was signing up and and getting the lay of the land and talking to the folks there and they knew who I was from my last name and all that they convinced me to like immediately enroll in the honors program and and it was it was good um, but like I quickly like became a bit disillusioned with some of the other students that I was in it with. Um, and, you know, there's some other stuff. Like, I, I love the teacher in there, but I remember he, he like, uh, showed the the class that Onion article about kids turning to Satanism because of Harry Potter, and he didn't know that that the Onion is is a satirical newspaper. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> and he started presenting, like, like, I don't know, you guys. Like, maybe it is bad. And oh, the influence no. this. What do you think? And we're like, all right, well, here's exactly yeah. what we think. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But um, oh, we no. were reading Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel, which which is like about societal evolution and and how these these key inventions allowed for for groups of of people to become more advanced than than others and such and such. Uh, I didn't read the whole thing, um, but but it was about societal evolution. Yeah, and you may have heard a word there. It was not very popular at APU. Evolution. It was not very popular at Seattle Pacific also. And there was this girl, and I remember we were like arranged in a circle, and and she just did not want to engage with the conversation about this book at all. And the teacher's like, what's going on? And she's like, well, it's about evolution. It's like... (laughs) It's um, well, no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, like technically that word is yeah. part of the description here, but like you realize that like words have multiple meanings and we're not talking about biological evolution right. in any way. Right. And, uh, did that help? No, she, no. she, <laughs> she leaned back in her <laughs> chair and she crossed her arms and just like glared and said, Oh, I know that look and, well. And she said, God will not be mocked. <laughs> and Dude, I just, you just trig- you just triggered me that that was every semester of my time at APU oh that. my god i was just crossed like, arms glare and then some kind of yeah hammer verbal hammer i was like down. this is the honors program <laughs> yeah this is the creme de la creme of like spu oh i'm surrounded by morons um <laughs> uh so i i left the program shortly after that and and that (laughs) moment seemed to me to kind of um crystallize much of of my thinking about the school in general and seemed to present a pretty low ceiling for me of what i could get from it um the good news is that SPU has improved a bit, maybe a lot, in the quality of its students and faculty. Um, Today's students and faculty have actually joined forces to fight against the school's anti-LGBTQIA policies that allow the school to fire faculty and staff just for being queer. They recently made national news when hundreds of graduates handed the president of the school a pride flag as he handed them their diplomas. He had quite a stack behind him by the end. So maybe Zach was just like 20 years too early to SPU. It's not like I was LGBTQ affirming when I was a student there, though. Oh, right. And so, I don't know, maybe it would have been good for me to have attended nowadays yeah in, challenging in some ways way. and yeah. you know that i wasn't i wasn't like it wasn't a major thing to me yeah um just as it wasn't a major thing at mars hill as like one of the things that i liked about mars hill is it was apolitical mm. like um when i think there was like this like nationwide like tour of of things maybe it's like franklin graham or something when 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 marriage equality was being pushed at the national level 
Yeah. And and Mars Hill did not participate in the event that mm. that came through. And I th- I think like Mark got some flack for that. And you know, I see now now that he's in Arizona and he's like <laughs> you know stockpiling weapons in his office yeah. and and well, that's what they do in arizona so warning just, everybody yeah. about the woke joke folk um yeah. like yeah. now you know, like i get his politics he was just holding back because he knew it wouldn't be popular in his congregation again yeah he plays the character that works for the environment yeah Ugh. so how would you describe yourself now like as uh spiritually religiously I well I I I recently changed my my Twitter bio to say I'm I'm a, a recovering certainty addict. Um hmm. I I don't really believe in an afterlife. I don't really care whether or not there's a god. Um I'm I'm just kind of fine with life being life and I'm done storing up treasures in heaven i want to experience the life i have um you know my 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 dad was only 66 when he passed and uh you know my mom said it was his time and i say fuck that and he had a lot left and so i'm 40 now 26 years until i reach his age that doesn't feel like a lot. And, and I feel like I've spent so much of my life being willing to accept a less full existence and experience of life because this is but a blink of an eye compared to eternity. And it's all going to be so much better once I go to heaven. And, like I have a body, I have senses and I want to use them and experience life with what I have while I can. And so I'm just not all that concerned with my stance on faith matters. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like mad at people that hold on to faith and you know, unless they're Christian nationalist Nazi fucks, Um, which at least part of that is people I'm related to. Hmm. Um, Maybe, maybe not that entire phrase, (laughs) but at least Christian nationalists. Yeah. Um, You know, which is what I was raised to be. You know, that's what Christian school is about creating in us. It's why we pledged every morning to the Christian flag and the American flag and the Bible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of like, I, it's, it's hard for me to like go full atheist because I just wired so much to have my whole understanding of how the world works to be from a faith perspective. Mm-hmm. And I've always in art, sought transcendent experiences above anything else and and those are the feelings that people in my vineyard church would get from from a worship service 
And, you know, you hear about those, you know, people that, that leave their faith and, and first like encounter art that's transcendently moving. And they're like, Oh, I thought this was a God experience. I didn't realize that these feelings could happen outside of church. Yeah. And, and, but I've always sought out those feelings. I've always been interested in, in, in having my, my soul or whatever moved by, by, by art that I encounter. And, but, but I, as far as like God, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to go get past that whole, what was before the before, you know, what was, what was before the big bang, what started everything and, and the whole explanation of, yeah, God existing outside of time, yeah, is what makes that a compelling idea to me. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, similar. I think part, I you know, our human existence is one of being stuck in linear time. Um, but even that is is it it shifts. Um, in in college, I I got into Oliver Sacks, the neurologist. Um, that, that Robin Williams movie awakenings is based on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wrote this, this article for the New Yorker, um, called on speed or on time. I printed it. I like have it on a bookshelf over there. I've had it for 20 years or whatever, where he, he talks about how, how we like to think of, of time as this uniform, um, experience that everybody has and but you know a champion sprinter could could be 10 yards off the blocks before being cognizantly aware that the gun is fired um Hmm. they you know he he had patience with with uh conditions that that caused them to have such a hyper awareness of time that that they could catch a fly on the wing be as it floated past them slowly um, or even just young people versus old people. You ask a group of 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 twenty year olds to count to two minutes, and most they'll they'll all be within like two or three seconds at the end. They'll all be very close to it. And you ask a group of senior citizens to count to two minutes, and they'll be like twenty seconds slower. And hmm. we just even time. Even in the, even the idea of God existing quote outside of time is is not like God has one experience of time and all of humans have one other experience of time. Yeah, we have changing, differing experiences of time. So I like I like thinking about that. I like thinking about what it would mean for for a a linear time experience world constructed by uh, a being with no linear time limitation. Um, hmm. But I don't need that to be true. And I think it's, yeah. it, <laughs> if anything, you know, it's just as likely that that uh, parallel universes exist <laughs> and that there's <laughs> different branchings of me all over the place. Who knows? Yeah. I won't find yeah. out because when I die, I'm probably just worm food. And uh, I don't think that, you know, my consciousness will continue on in some other form. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then part of this deconstruction process is finding peace in the not knowing and being okay with not knowing. Yeah, of 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 these things. Um, yeah, evangelicalism so yeah. is like, well, you have to be certain. You have to know right. this. Like, how yeah. how could you how could you live yeah. without knowing? You know, like like every right. pitch is. Yeah. Do you know where you're going when you die? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Have 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 you had somebody like knock on your door and ask you that since you've deconstructed and have you been able to be yeah, like all the time? I don't, and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that blows their mind. Yeah. Um, I haven't had that discussion yet with some with a stranger. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah. I'm in the I'm in a neighborhood that's kind of on the border of um, several different kinds of neighborhoods. So the Jehovah's Witnesses come here pretty heavily, and the Mormons. And what, whenever a local church opens up, they come to our neighborhood for some reason. So. Yeah, like a few times a year I get to <laughs> answer the door and tell them, oh, ooh, you're going to regret knocking on this, <laughs> this door. Uh, just, I'm friendly, you know, I'm not like mean or anything, but just like, oof, yeah. Just, mm. Next time just invite them on you the podcast. Sure? You know, that would be a funny podcast. People come to your door and, uh, yeah, start rolling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that far side cartoon of uh you know the blob family at home or like one of them look is looking at us like oh honey the mormons are showing up pretend we're beanbags <laughs> um and nowadays it'd be like ah there's mormons quick grab the podcasting gear <laughs> yeah yeah get the mics on oh wow man yeah i i like how this episode went to all these places that haven't gone before because there's so much to think about and you're like looking at your journey i've followed you for a while now and so <laughs> um your role in destroying mars hill and and the journey from your family and in, in the vineyard to that and to where we are today that's that's an epic life journey and you're only 40 so you have you have so much life now to to go forward like we got it's exciting to think about the possibilities, um, spiritually, um, physically of, of things that are ahead for you, that you, you have, here we are. That's beautiful. I, I, I think it is. I hope it is. Um, you know, there's, there's still, still parts of that, that I keep trying to shake and I can't seem to do it. You know, go, going back to what we were saying earlier about about um, what Tori was saying uh, uh, about us getting good at hiding things. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I met at, at a evangelical meetup in Portland. Yeah. We'd only been following each other for a few weeks at that point. Um, yeah. And so we weren't actually all that familiar with who each other was, but we ended up sitting next to each other and getting to know each other. Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really nice. And I, I, but I remember, I think, I think it was Joe Lumen was talking about having re- a real authentic friendship with her parents and the, the, the necessity of being open and honest about who you are in order for those relationships to, to, to flourish and be real friendships. And, and for me, I'm, I'm still at, I, I gotta hide that. I don't believe this stuff anymore from my yeah. mom. And, and, and I, I would honor that decision too, 
because it's a two-way street. So if, if, you're, if you know your parents aren't in a place to accept that, then you just have to do what you have to do to maintain a relationship. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've had to think of it as as setting healthy boundaries, um, yeah. without them knowing about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, to me, that's it's a sacrifice on your part in honoring that relationship. Um, and everyone has to make their own choice. So yeah, I, I would have if I were talking to Joe right now, I would have pushed back a little bit because her parents ended up being great about it and it's worked out great. But I do know you you and I both probably both know people where it doesn't work out and the relationship is severed, um or or irreparably damaged. And so we all have to decide for ourselves, I think. I don't think there's a universal truth as to how to approach this from, from where we're coming from. And so. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I, on the last episode of our podcast, um, Matt Zoller sites was asking me about how my idea of my dad and my feelings about him, how, how those may have changed after, after he died. And, and I talked about that, idea of being being friends with your parents being uh, being like a peer and how difficult it was to get to that point and a lot of that having to do with the the james dobson based mm-hmm. uh family that that we had where where the ultimate goal was to make sure your kids are going to heaven and that they obey yeah and that friend like you don't try to be friends with your kid because that will impede their obedience yeah. Um, it'll confuse them or something, you know? Yeah. And, and so it was, it was a while. It wasn't really until my thirties. I feel like, like my dad and I became peer friends who would want to hang out and spend time together and just, you know, get a pizza and watch a football game or something. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, that's changed my thinking about how I'm going to parent and how I like try to be friends with my kids. I like, like make a point of like, that is a thing I want. Ultimately what I want is for my kids to like me when they're able to move out and that we'll continue to spend time together. And that while they're here and throughout their lives, that I, I will be here for them to, to help them figure out who they are and what they want out of life and what matters to them. And, um, and so I've thought in thinking about like hiding my deconstruction from my mom, mm. I've thought about like, if, if my dad were still alive, w- would I be hiding this from him? And would that have hurt the friendship that we were building? Um, Cause he passed when I was pretty early on, into my deconstruction. He like, mm. yeah, is, is 2018. So, um, Oh, you know, over a year into the Trump presidency, <laughs> which had a lot to do with, with deconstructing. Right. Um, right. but, um, you know, I didn't have that language for it. I wasn't seeing a therapist. I hadn't started a podcast. I didn't have <laughs> friends like, like you. And, uh, 
you know, wasn't a thing that was an important part of my life, but it is an important part of my life now that I just don't talk about if I talk to my mom, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I met you in Portland, it was the day before my mom got remarried. Yeah. <laughs> and I like yeah. went to that and he was like, Hey, how's it going? What you, what you been up to? I'm like, Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I went down to Portland yeah, for was no a particular reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Saw some old friends, you know, then I can, yeah, I well, can I'm glad it, it worked work. out. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. Very, it was, that was a beautiful weekend for sure. It, was, it really, really was. It, it, it fed my soul in a way that few things have in quite a while. So yeah, for me too. But anyway, thanks for coming on and going back through it all. Cause there's so, so much for all of us to think about in that journey. So, and it's not over. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, recovering certainty addict is sort of acknowledging, uh, that I think of it the way uh, other other addicts would, would view their addiction as, as a lifelong thing that they're working against. So maybe decades from now, I could say, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong certainty addict, 30 years sober. <laughs> <laughs> it's been but, 30 years since I felt the need to be certain. Yeah, so, we'll see. Right on. I'll let you know when I'm fully uncertain about certainty or i don't know <laughs> whoa my head just blew up yeah okay cool man well thanks <laughs> yeah um and cut or whatever i don't know i feel like it's such an honor to be able to hear people's stories um and i'm so grateful that zach was so open to share not just his memories of SPU and Mars Hill, but the difficult times after he, as he navigated his faith deconstruction and his relationships with his family. It's really all just tied together. Now, because Zach is a musician and was involved in leading worship, like me, we just had to do this. This is the first original song for chapel probation. Yeah, I've done some parodies before, but we wrote this one. So when I was on the Veterans of Culture Wars podcast, Zach mentioned that there were no songs that we could think of in the key of A minor. So later I suggested we write a song called A Minor Worship or A Minor Worship, as in, you know, a half-hearted sort of half-assed worship. <laughs> compared to like the wildly erotic romantic worship you usually get. So he suggested something like Jesus is cool if you're into that sort of thing. And we went to work. Well, here it is, complete with um, some extra voices. I, I put some background vocals. Uh, Blake Chastain chimed in. Um, we asked a bunch of other people, but they were too busy and, and you know, sing. who wants to sing backup, you know, so. Anyway, my wife, Jerry, and daughter, Audrey, also contributed their voices. So I'm just going to sign off here and let the song kind of end the episode. So thanks again to Zach, not just for the interview, but for writing the song and recording. He played guitar and bass, and he sang, and he did lots of his own background vocals. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week on Chapel Probation. Uh, and a quick warning, podcasts are a little bit quieter than music, so you might want to turn the volume down in the next two seconds.
what my parents say sinning's not cool but what's sin mean anyway now 